Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Our text for our sermon is the Gospel according to St. Matthew, as recorded in chapter 10, verses 24 through 33. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor is a servant above his master. It's enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If the master of the house was called Beelzebul, how much more the members of his household. So do not be afraid of them, because there is nothing concealed that will not be revealed and nothing hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. And what you hear whispered in your ear, proclaim from the housetops. Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear the one who's able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a small coin? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground without the knowledge and consent of your father. And even the hairs of your head are all numbered. So do not be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Everyone who confesses me before others, I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before others, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. This is the gospel of our Lord. She was an average student in high school and she graduated. She went on to college and graduated in four years. It's been five years since their high school graduation, and while she was planning with a group of people using a social network their uh, five-year anniversary, one of them shares something big in her life, something that's really crushing her, and she sees her golden opportunity and she leaps. She shares that her friends and all of her classmates, like herself, are sinners who need a Savior and that they have a Savior, that Jesus Christ has died and rose for them so that everyone who believes in him will never perish but receive eternal life. And then suddenly all the post starts coming in. She gets labeled all kinds of names that has nothing to do with the message that she shared. She is being hung out to dry with lies. She remembers it being in the news just a few weeks ago that someone had posted something on a social network and hopped into an airplane, landed two hours later and found out they didn't have a job, even though what she posted on the social network had nothing to do with her job. And now she's afraid because of the name she is being called that her whole life is going to come tumbling down. We still have freedom of speech in America, but don't kid yourself. There is a culture in America that is working hard to crunch out free speech and despises and hates Christianity and is happy to tell lies. How can you in such a culture boldly confess Christ knowing you can lose your job, knowing you can lose your friends? We will answer that as we work through today's text. Again, to bring out a couple subtle nuances in the inspired Greek language, I will use my translation. Verse 24 tells us, A student is not above his teacher, nor a slave above his master. It is sufficient in regards to the student that he become like his teacher and the slave like his master. Now, 
due to that horrible thing in America's history that led to the Civil War, we don't like talking about slavery at all. But Jesus Christ talks to a culture as it was in his time. And the average person in the Roman Empire at the time Christ walked the earth was a slave. And there were abuses. Let's not kid ourselves. But there were those who, for example, their masters saw high intelligence and bought them and sent them out to become doctors and philosophers. There were those who studied under their teacher. And still today, if you have a really good teacher, one of the greatest compliments that can come to that teacher is that you show the same knowledge they have. You and I cannot surpass Christ. We have no intention to. But how wonderful it is when people see that because you have faith, you are united to Christ and his love. The sap of him, because you are a branch engrafted onto the vine, is shining through. And yes, Christ purchased and won you on the cross, but that is no slavery. You are adopted as God's child. So when the world sees Christ in you, that's a good thing. But then he says, it is sufficient in regard to the student that he become like his teacher and a slave like his master. If the head of the house was labeled Beelzebul, how much more the members of his household? Beel was the name for a false god. And the most common understanding of this term is that it basically translates into English, Lord of the manure pile. It may be God of nothingness or God of the flies, but the most commonly understood translation is God of the manure pile. Jesus was accused of this when he cast out demons. Oh, he does that by the name of the God of the manure pile. That's what they think of the salvation God is offering them freely with outstretched arms and love. And if they call him the God of the manure pile, they laugh at you for being part of the manure pile. But something's being said here by Christ. If Christ was persecuted, when you're persecuted, we're looking at it wrong if we wallow in self-pity. You would not be persecuted. That young lady who's being called names on the social network would not be called those names if she did not have a savior who they hated. In other words, God actually uses persecution to show you that you are his child and are connected to him as a branch to the vine and are clinging to his word. Peter and John, when they were even beat by the Sanhedrin for proclaiming the word of God, walked away and rejoiced that they were found worthy to suffer as their master did. So how can you boldly confess Christ? Persecution shows that he is your Lord and your teacher. Verse 26 says, therefore, do not fear them, for there is nothing which has been covered up that will not be revealed or a hidden thing which will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, you are to speak in the light and what you hear whispered in your ear. You are to proclaim upon the rooftops. Now, there's two things that go on here. Take the Sanhedrin, who was supposed to be pointing the Israelites to the Savior saying, look, there he is, the God man. He's come. How wonderful. This is why we're in our position to show you the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Instead, they met in secret behind closed doors. They plotted the murder. But you know what? 
Their intentions have been exposed for 2,000 years. Anybody in the scriptures can read the God that they worshipped was their own selves and they didn't care that the Savior had come because they were after their own cush positions. Like that young lady being persecuted on a social network. Those people who are doing it, who are telling the lies and calling the false names, God will see to it that their motives are exposed. And sadly... If they remain in those motives, God on judgment day will say, you went after my lamb and you refused the salvation. My lamb was sent to tell you uh, that my son won for you. And now you can burn in hell. Don't kid yourself. God is not ignorant of their persecution. But on the other hand, the flip side of this is Christianity and the message we have, while many get confused on it, is very simple. It's so simple, you can summarize it in one verse of the Bible, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. So simple that a two or three year old child can say it, proclaim it and sing it. We don't need to worry about the world, about hiding our faith. The message of God is simple. It's not complicated. We don't need to worry about all those other things. Just stick with what's simple. How can you boldly confess Christ? Because salvation is simple and public. It's not a hidden message in which you need to have all kinds of of information and contacts and know a secret handshake. No, it's simple and public, real easy to proclaim. In verse 28, we're told, and stop being afraid of those who kill the body yet are unable to kill your soul, but rather keep on fearing the one who's able to destroy both soul and body in Gehenna. Gehenna was the garbage dump of the city of Jerusalem. They had a fire that burnt 24 hours a day and it was fed by people's garbage. That's what God refers to as hell. People like that Saul who were busy killing Christians. They're either going to end up in hell for their hatred or like Saul, God will convert them by the message of those Christians and they will become believers as well. But there's also a warning for you and I, and this is strong law. If your life means more to you than God, than your eternal salvation, if you constantly turn your back to God, you know, God on judgment day will say, you knew my message and your neck was more important to you than the eternal life in paradise that I've won for you, than the glorified body I've promised you. Jesus continues in verse 29, are not two sparrows sold for, and the word that's used there, in, if we were to translate that into modern terms, is half an hour's labor. Just half an hour's labor. Are not two sparrows sold for half an hour's labor, and yet not one of them will fall upon the earth apart from your father. And even all the hairs of your head are in a state of having been numbered. Therefore, stop being afraid. You yourselves are worth more than many sparrows. Now, when I do get to heaven, I want to ask God, what happened to all my hair? And can you give it back? He will. But there's that's that's a wonderful comfort for us. Two sparrows sold for half an hour's labor. They seem like nothing to us. Very little value. But not one of them falls to the ground without God the Father knowing it. And he knew your life. He knows the numbers of hair on your head. And if they're going to grab you by the hair and pull you into their court system, even if they rip your hair out, God knows it. And he's in control. 
And he wouldn't allow it unless he had a plan. And we saw that in the persecution of the Sanhedrin in the early days of Christianity. It just fueled the fire and the message was amplified of salvation in Christ. When the Roman government went after the Christians and they were cruel, they loved to put them in Circus Maximus and watch lions tear into 80-year-old men. Wow, what good entertainment. But many of the Roman citizens stopped and said, these people face death peacefully. And they turn around and they proclaim their God in joy. They smile at death while being ripped apart. There's something about their message. God's in control. He has a plan. He planned for when you would be born, that you would hear his message, that he would deliver you safely unto the day of salvation. And don't forget, you're way more precious than sparrows. You're so precious that Jesus Christ took on human flesh for you and died upon the cross for you so that he could wash away your sins as if you were the only one that mattered while doing the same thing for me. That's how precious you are. You're worth the life of the God-man to God. So how can you boldly confess Christ? You're precious to God. Now, I've covered three points so far. Persecution shows that God is your Lord and teacher. Salvation is simple and public, and you are precious to God. I can summarize all of these by telling you God is in control, and he's ruling to bring you and keep you in your salvation, ruling so that you share the message. Verse 32 and forward answers the second part of our question, how can you boldly confess Christ? Accordingly, everyone who will confess, you often hear me say we got to pay attention to the Greek prepositions. The one used here is the one where you have a fence built in the backyard of the parsonage. Everything in there is property of Lord of Lords Lutheran Church and is my backyard. Everything outside of that fence is not my backyard. That's the preposition. So accordingly, everyone who will confess within the boundaries of me. So they're not just saying like the devil does, yes, Jesus Christ is true God who became true Lord. They're confessing he became true Lord, was righteous in my place, lived in my place, died to wash my sins away, rose for me. Not the confession of those cults that are based on Christianity that robs Jesus of being 100% your salvation, the confession of the package deal. Everyone who will confess within the boundaries of me in the presence of the people, I myself will also confess within the boundaries of that person in the presence of my father, specifically the one who is in heavens. Jesus says a mouthful here. He's going to confess within the boundaries of you. That's actually comfort because it's a package deal. Look at the Apostle Peter on the night Jesus was betrayed. Suddenly, Peter, who is bold, he has backbone, loses it and denies his Lord before a 12 year old girl. But see, it's not that he was going to confess Peter that one time he denied him. Oh, one time he denied me. He's confessing the package deal. And and in fact... I've mentioned that God is in control. Jesus actually used that. Peter wasn't the only one. All the disciples fled. John was the only one who had enough backbone to stand at the foot of the cross. But even he fled when they came to arrest Jesus. What Jesus confesses of them is they never denied him ever again. He used that to strengthen them. The devil wanted to sift them like wheat. He looks at the whole package deal. 
You and I confess in the Athanasian Creed that we will be judged by our works. It's not that our good works save us. No, 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 no. You can't do good works unless you are saved. Jesus sees the rottenness of your sinful nature that's attached to everything you do, and he blasts that away with the fire hose of his blood. But what he confesses is that lifelong, that you were connected to him, that you grew the fruits of faith, you heard the word, and maybe sometimes you didn't recognize when God was calling you to share the word. Maybe sometimes, yes, you were weak and afraid, but he sees how he used that to strengthen you, and you didn't run away and completely deny your faith but stayed in the Lord. And we often forget how, because we are connected to Christ, his love for you and love for all human beings is in your soul. It's built into your new man. It's there in your heart and it shines through with your love for the word, with your willingness to forgive, with your love for people who hate you and your willingness to share the word of God. And so he does end this with very strong law. Yet whoever would deny me in the presence of the people, I myself will also deny him in the presence of my father, specifically the one in the heavens. Here's the warning. When our necks mean more to us than the eternal life, and it continues to remain more to us, we've let our own lives take the place of God in our hearts. But again, That's not the case with you. And it's why he even has built into your soul that you come to the word to be strengthened and nourished. I forgive you this time that you slipped, that that, that with the spotlight on you, you failed. But I also empowered you through that to continue proclaiming that the world is saved through me by the faith I give them with my Holy Spirit. So what's the second reason why you can boldly confess Christ? Because Christ will confess you. This is my lamb. I let them walk into that dangerous position because I wanted them to share the word. And as I've said, God is in control. And so if they come after you and take your job or your life, God has a plan for that and is giving you the eternal paradise he won for you. So God is in control. Persecution shows he's your Lord and teacher. Salvation is simple and public. You are precious to God. And again, Christ will confess you. Amen. Now, how blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, everyone who is walking in his ways. Amen. Let us pray. Eternal God and Father, we give thanks for the blessings we share as members of your holy church, for your gracious word and sacraments, for opportunities to worship and to grow in faith and knowledge, for occasions to serve and be served, for fellowship with believers in our congregation and in our synod. Help us to rejoice in these blessings, dear Lord, and to use them faithfully. Jesus Christ, Lord of the church, you give grace to your people by calling us to be your witnesses in the world. Open our eyes to see the great and noble mission that lies before us. In the hurting eyes of the lonely, in the pained eyes of the sick, and in the searching eyes of the lost, Help us to see your face, O Jesus, and serve others as we would serve you. Awaken us to the opportunities you give to proclaim your message of love. Holy Spirit, giver of life, through word and sacrament, bestow on us the wisdom and power we need to witness clearly and act boldly. Help us to speak the truth in love, to give the reason for the hope we have, and to conduct ourselves with the gentleness and respect. Set our hearts on fire as we work and witness for Christ. 
Hear us, Lord, as we pray for a family member, an acquaintance, a neighbor, or friend who does not believe in you or whose faith is weak or troubled. Bless the church with men and women who are willing to proclaim your word in places where we cannot go. Keep them and their loved ones in your care and let nothing hinder their work. By the power of the gospel, restore their spirits each day so that they do not lose heart as they serve us and others. Move us to support them with our sincere prayers and generous offerings. As we celebrate the inception of our nation, we thank you, Lord, for the freedom of religion that we have. However, that freedom is being challenged by atheists and modern political thought. Well-meaning but misinformed Christians often add fuel to that fire. Therefore, we ask you to bless our leaders with understanding of how the freedom of religion and speech benefit our nation so that they will work zealously to protect and preserve it. As the coronavirus continues to spread throughout our nation, we pray that you protect our flock from it, and we pray that you lead the doctors and nurses to work on it and figure out ways to cure it, but we especially pray, Lord, that you simply put it in remission. Wherever your word is proclaimed, O Lord, grant it success. Let your kingdom come to us and others so that we and many more might join the assembly of saints and angels to sing your praise forever. Savior of all, hear our prayer and help us in our mission. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace. Amen. Amen.